Today's going to be a little bit different, a um, little bit different message, I guess. Um, and and it's going to, it's going to, there's going to be a call to action. And so I want to go ahead and start to prepare your heart for that um, as we get towards uh, the end of the series or the end of the uh, the sermon today. If you have your copy of God's Word, let's go to Matthew chapter six this morning. Matthew chapter six. So we've been talking about. We started last week talking about spiritual disciplines. I love that, that uh, I've gotten several uh, emails, Facebook messages uh, from you guys over the week um, saying that you have interest in, in learning spiritual disciplines, going deeper in your faith, really practicing the things that you read in Scripture. Uh, and, and I'm excited about that. And so I've, I've been able to provide some resources for you guys uh, as you, you move forward. And so um, I, I do want to uh, do want to mention one particular resource uh, that, that I've used. Uh, I went to a Bible conference back in 2007 uh, in, uh, at the church that Allie and I were attending while we were in seminary at Southeastern Baptist Seminary uh, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Don Whitney who came in. Don was a professor or is a professor at uh, South, uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Kentucky, uh, and he wrote a book um, called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Uh, and it is like, it is heavy reading. It's not one of those things that like, you know, that it's one of those things that, that even though I've been to seminary and have training and things like that, uh, I read a paragraph and I have to go back and read it two or three times uh, because there's so much meat on it that if you try to read it too fast, it'll choke you. But, um, but there's some good stuff. Um, and, and he came in and did a Bible conference at the church that Allie and I were attending uh, at the time. And so, um, and I was just enamored at the things. I'd been a Christian for years and, uh, and I, you know, probably 15 years by that point. Uh, 15 or 16 years at that point, and 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 I just I didn't realize that I I never knew the things that I never knew, and uh, and and after that he he got into things like uh, like prayer and fasting and journaling and memorizing scripture, meditation on the scripture, and things like that, and and different aspects of all of those disciplines. Uh, I have worked over the last couple decades to try to um, uh, try to work into my spiritual life and my growth as a, as a believer, and so I want to encourage you if you want to go deeper, you will hear. A lot of Don Whitney uh, in what um, uh, in what you hear from the pulpit over the next few weeks, uh, only because this book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, has had such a great impact uh, on mine. And so, um, so today we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting. Uh, and, and last week we we discussed um, the, the the inerrancy and the inspiration of Scripture, the supremacy of the uh, the autographs. Right? We talked about uh, that we have to believe everything from cover to cover because if we don't, then if there is something, even one little thing that 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 we just flat don't believe about the Scriptures, then we don't believe that the Scriptures are truly inspired and inerrant. And without the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture, believing that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, if we don't believe that, every word of it, because we believe that God collated all of his words into one infallible document. If we don't believe that, then the very foundation with which that we live our lives as believers in Jesus becomes suspect and it becomes unstable. We don't have that foundation with which to undergird uh, the things that we build on top of. And the spiritual disciplines are the things that we build on top of the foundation of, of the scriptures. And so as we, we walk forward, you're going to see that everything, that, that all of the disciplines that we look at over the next several weeks are going to be built upon the, in, uh, the inerrancy and the inspiration of the scriptures. And I, I'll be honest with you, I wish this sermon was going to be exhaustive today. Um, you know, you got 35 minutes to, to really, t- you know, 
communicate something to you uh, that I could probably teach on for two or three hours and, uh, and, and even still not hit it. So this is going to be kind of a treetops. My goal, my desire for this uh, when, when you leave today is that you leave with a greater desire to understand things like prayer and the importance of prayer and the importance of fasting uh, and the things like that, 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 that deepen our relationship with Jesus. You, that you see the great need for them in the life of every believer. And so today's big idea, uh, as we, we thrust ourselves into the scriptures, is this, is that prayer and fasting use deliberate methods of self-sacrifice to focus a believer's affections on Christ, thereby, le- thereby leading to, communi- or to communion with him. So and, and prayer and fasting is just a couple of, of, of different methods that we use uh, to commune with Christ. Uh, but we're going to talk about prayer and fasting today. Jesus spoke about prayer and fasting. Greatest sermon ever preached. And gosh, I'd, I would love to be, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to say one day that like, like a, a sermon that I preach is on the list of one of the greatest sermons ever preached. That probably will not happen. But I can take you to a place where there is one. And that is the, the, the sermon that Jesus preached um, on the Mount. And so we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. I've been, I've been to this place. Uh, I, I've been to the place where Jesus preached uh, this message, um, where he offered the Beatitudes, where he, where he offered um, uh, things that the multitudes who were following him were, were in this. Jesus was kind of out on the water. And, 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 and if you go to this place on the, on the, the Mount of Beatitudes, you see this, uh, the shape of the, the, the place where Jesus was. It was, it was amazing. The acoustics in it were, were amazing that the multitudes, Jesus could be speaking and the multitudes could hear him preaching. And so uh, the things that Jesus talks about in this sermon are things that are directly applicable to the life of the believer. Two things that he talks about. He talks about prayer. He talks about the importance of prayer. And he also talks about the importance of fasting and among other things. Uh, Matthew chapters five and six are just fantastic. And I would encourage you uh, to get involved and, and to read those whenever, whenever you can. We're going to read um, Matthew chapter six and verses five through 18 together today. And then we're going to, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That's a good way to start. He says, he says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for They think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. If you're comfortable underlining your Bible, underline that that phrase. For your father knows what you need before you ask. I'll be honest with you. There there are days that that I go to to the Lord and and I I don't know what to pray. It's comforting to know that when I can't form the words that God already knows what I need before I even show up. He's there before we are. Jesus says in verse nine, he says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Two things I want us to look at today um, regarding prayer and fasting. Number one is this, is that prayer is our intimate connection to God. Understand what prayer is not, okay? Prayer is not an opportunity for you just to, to, to throw out all the really great theological words that you know to impress God's heart. That is not what this is about. I want you to look at, at several verses uh, and just, just skim. Verse, in, in this chapter, verses 5, 6, 7, verse 16, and verse 17. There, there's a particular article there that I think is important. Look at what it says about, about prayer and fasting. He says, when you pray, when you pray, not if, there is an assumption that Jesus makes for the person that is pursuing God is that there is a desire in you that when you pray, not if you pray, uh, and just as the, the Great Commission assumes Right, the, the, the command we talked about is the command in the Great Commission is not that you would go. The command in the Great Commission is that you would make disciples as you go. So Jesus says, not, not if you pray, not if you, you decide to fast, if you get around to it, if your schedule works with it. He says, when you pray. He's not encouraging us to pray and to fast. He's showing us how to pray and to fast. Prayer and fasting are always undergirded in motivation. Prayer is about communion with God. It, it, it's essentially, as the believer, it's our lifeline. It's, it's how we get to the Father. Jesus, being our high priest, eliminated the need for an intermediary. We don't need someone to go to the Father on our behalf. Jesus, being our high priest, eliminated that need. Through Jesus, because of his broken body, because of his shed blood, because at the moment of his death, the veil uh, in the temple tore from top to bottom, we no longer need a priest, a, a, an intermediary who is holy to go to the Father on our behalf. In Jesus, we have a high priest who says you can have intimate and, and instant access to God. We just have to do it. It, it sounds easy, but... Can, can we all in the room and online this morning, can we all admit this? While it, it may be easy to say we just need to go to God in prayer, it's hard some days, isn't it? Like there are just some days that you just don't feel like it. Some days life just hits you square in the mouth and you're like, I'll be honest with you, I ain't got it in me today. I, I don't, God, I don't, know what the word, I don't know the words to say. So let's... Let's look at prayer so that we never as believers get to that point where we feel like we cannot go to God in prayer. First, let's look about how not to pray. Look at verses seven and eight. He says, when you pray, do, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Verse five, he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. 
We beseech thee now, Heavenly Father, in the name of the angels and the people and the good people and the bad people and how now, brown cow. (laughs) There's always somebody in church that prays that way. And maybe in their mind, they're being super righteous. And maybe they even feel like they're being pious. Uh, they're, they're being kind of humble when they do it. In every church I've been in, there's been someone who loves to pray that way. And, and it's almost like when you bow your head and you close your eyes. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm a rebel. Um, I rarely close my eyes when I pray. And I know why you do it. Because when you close your eyes, you, you're eliminating the, the distractions around you, which probably for someone with undiagnosed ADD is probably good for me. But for some reason, I, I focus better when my eyes are open. And so um, I've seen people that have prayed, and when they stand there, they, they, they have their eyes closed, and they just sort of open one eye. And they want to look around. They want to see what people are saying. They want to, they want to see the response with, with their, their lofty language. The prayer is more about the people in front of them than about the God that the prayer should be directed to. So Jesus says, when you pray, that's why he kind of hits you in the mouth with that that first statement. He says, says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Sometimes we get rote with our prayer life, don't we? It's kind of like part of settling into a routine with God. You ever, you ever thought about the prayer that you pray before a meal? I call it the hungry man prayer. There are days that, that when, I, when I, I pray, I'm just like, man, there's a steak right there. Lord, bless this food, amen. And you kind of, you kind of expect God just to go, yes, I understand there's a steak right in front of you. Look, I'm the chief of sinners on this, all right? I'm a, I'm a big man, and I, I like good food. Have you ever thought about, sometimes you just get into your prayer life and you forget who you're praying to? I mean, think about it. Just, let's just take a moment, and let's think about Let's think about our prayer life. Think about who we're praying to. Let's think about who the, the recipient is of our prayer that we were created in God's image, but God the Father is so much more than just who we see when we look in the mirror. When John was, when the apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos, uh, Jesus comes to John and he says, I want to show you some things. And, and, and when I show you this, I want you to write the things that you see and the things that you hear. And so John says, okay. John's sitting in a cave. Jesus pulls back. Literally, the the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. It literally means to unveil or the unveiling. Jesus pulls back the curtain in linear time and shows John a glimpse of what the end of this world will look like. And in Revelation chapter 4, Jesus describes the Father. And he's bright as lightning. And he's covered in in fine jewels like jasper and carnelian and diamonds and rubies. And there's all of these angels that are around him. 
And there are these animals that, that are even, it's hard to describe. And everyone around the throne is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's lightning and there's thunder and there's rumblings and there's, there's, there's all of this going around. And, and John can only think of one thing. He just bows. Because God is so worthy and he's not. Church, when, when, when you pray, You're praying to someone who is absolutely indescribable. And yet we come to him and pray, Lord, bless this food, amen. How arrogant are we? I want to invite you to pray differently. I'd like to invite you, when you pray, before you say any prayer ever, either read or think on Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And remember who you're praying to. So when Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. When you focus on the ones around you that you're praying to and not the one to whom you're praying towards, the prayer is directed. Jesus says, the adulation and accolades that you get when someone comes to you says, what a beautiful prayer. If that's your focus, you've already received your reward. It's how not to pray. I want to look at how to pray this morning. So Jesus gives us a, a pretty good start. He says in verse 8, he says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, pray then like this, and he goes into the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is simple. It's literally just, God says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Bring me your burdens, and I'll give you rest. But we tend to complicate prayer more than is necessary. I want to show you a model for how to pray. And it's, it's, it's simply the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. It's four words. And it's a template, a model for what prayer looks like. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so I want to run through those with you this morning. And then I want us to, to look at how to, how to support this prayer life. First, I want us to look at, at A, which is adoration. All right, so think back to Revelation 4. God is worthy. And, even, and, and so understand that in his worthiness, in his beauty, in his majesty, so, he's so holy and righteous that if we were even to look upon his holiness and his righteousness, it would kill us, right? This is why God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, right? Because he was so unworthy to look upon the, the glory of God. And the glory goes, goes uh, by, it kind of peels by Moses. And Moses wasn't the same. He he comes down off of Mount Sinai and dude is like glowing. He's radiating just because the glory of God was near him. Friend, because of your sin, and, and you look, if you're redeemed in Christ, 
Regenerate, you have gone from death to life. You've trusted Jesus as Savior. You're only worthy to approach God because Jesus' blood justifies you and makes you worthy. We're not worthy in our own person to approach him, much less to speak to him. But he invites you to come. He wants to commune with you. It's, it's a desire of the Lord. That's why God created people in the first place. If you look back to Genesis chapter three and verse eight, right? God in six days creates the whole world, everything, the whole universe, separates light from darkness, separates land from water, creates the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts, the creeping things, right? And he looks and he goes, man, all of this is super good. I think it's good. Super is probably not the adjective he, he would have used. That's mine. But then he, he comes back and he says it's missing something. And so he creates, out of the dust of the earth, he creates man. And seeing that man wasn't suitable for him to be alone creates a helpmate for man. We call her woman. And when God steps back and he looks and all the things he's created, he says, this is very good. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, mind you, this is after the fall. All right, They, they, were, they were hiding at this point. But it gives us a picture of God's routine with Adam and Eve. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So God creates all of this and he creates man and he comes to earth and he comes to the garden every day in the cool of the day. What is the cool of the day? You know what that is, all right? It happens in Florida, usually in the end of December and the first of January. <laughs> Everywhere else in this country, it happens in September or October. For, but for us, it happens in January, when you get the, as a matter of fact, Allie and I walked down on the back porch yesterday morning, uh, let the dogs out, and we're, you know, we drink coffee on Saturday mornings, and so we're, we're making coffee, and I walked out to let the dogs out, and I go, man, what a, what a morning. It wasn't humid, it was like, and it was this cool little breath of wind that hits the back of your neck, makes, makes your arm hair stand up. In moments like that, God would come to the garden simply to spend time with Adam and Eve. In an undefiled world, that's what communion with God would look like. Unfettered time with the God of creation. He wants to commune with us too. But we mustn't allow that place in God's desire to make us prideful. That, oh man, God wants to commune with me. He's deeply worthy. When we pray to God, it's a reminder that we are unworthy, that he is totally worthy. And so when we pray, Father, we adore you. You are worthy of our praise and we're not worthy to sit at your feet, yet you call us to it anyway. Doesn't this already, and we're only in the first part, doesn't this already sound like a better prayer than Lord bless this food, amen? We offer God adoration, but we also offer him confession. 
So can I inform you of something? And maybe I'm not informing you, but, but let me inform you of something. If you've never heard this. You, you know that when you, when you do something dumb, that it separates you from God, right? That it's a wedge that is pushed between you and a holy God. And that when the Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin, that you go to God and you confess that sin. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I you know, gave that improper gesture to that man in traffic the other day. You know which gesture, you're laughing. When, when you do that, you, you do know you're not informing God of anything, right? Like, like it's not gonna say, hey, listen, I gave an improper gesture in traffic and God goes, really? You've taught me something today. Now, he already knows. The thing is, why do we keep from going to him when God convicts us of sin? Why do we try to bury it where we think the holy God of all creation and, and, and our salvation can't see our sin? He is everywhere at every minute. Nothing you do, nothing you say, even thinks or slips by God. He doesn't want you to inform him. You can inform him. He wants us to fall under conviction and to tell him sorry for the dumb stuff you've done or that you've said or that you've thought. All the things that don't bring him honor and glory. When I was a kid, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was a kid, my, everyone's, I, I'm an only child if you didn't know. Um, and uh, there were days when, when I would get just a little bit too big for my britches and my mom would send me to my room now, mind you, that was a better alternative than spanking. I was okay with that. But she would send me to my room, and I would tell her in the middle of our argument, I would tell her, when can I come out? And mom would always say, she said, when you can be a productive member of society to a six-year-old. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I know what that means, but okay. And so I would go into my room, and I'd sit on my bed, and I would, because God helped me if I turned on my Nintendo while I was in timeout, okay? And she caught me. And I would, I would think about the things that I've done. And I would call out of my room, Mom, can I come out? And she says, come here. And I would go to her and I, or to Dad, whomever it happened to be sending me in there. I don't know why it was such a traumatizing when Mom would do it. But, um, and she would say, do you have something to say? And it would always, if it didn't start with I'm sorry, it was back to my room. <laughs> like there was no explanation. It was I'm sorry first and then we can continue the conversation. Can, can you imagine if in the middle of all of that, I came out, she called me to her and, and, and she said, what do you have to say? And I'm like, I want a new toy. Can you imagine how well that would have gone over? Like a lead balloon, I do believe. But do you know, we do that in our prayer life. In the middle of all of our sin, the stuff that we haven't asked God to forgive us for, we go to him and how we have this laundry list of things that we want God to do for us. Once we tell God he's worthy and remind him that we know that he's worthy and we come to him and the first thing out of our mouths after adoration should be confession. Lord, I'm sorry for the dumb stuff I've done. You already know about it. The Holy Spirit's convicted me. I'm sorry. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Sin keeps us from full fellowship with God. Confession allows us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
but also we should give thanksgiving. We're not even to the point where we can offer God our concerns yet. What are you thankful for? What has God already done in your life that you haven't shown appreciation for? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 says, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What a picture of God. And yet he still wants us to come to him and be thankful for the things that he's done. And then finally, there's supplication. And this is the part that we don't have a problem with. This is our laundry list. We all have our struggles. And it's only after adoration, confession, and thanksgiving can we rightly bring our petitions to God for his consideration. Remember, when it comes to prayer, you've been invited here. He says, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, casting all of our anxieties on him because he cares for you. He invites us to come to his throne, unworthy as we are, made worthy in Christ. He invites us to come, to bring our burdens, to lay them at his feet. Bring the names of lost friends and family members, co-workers, classmates. Bring your cares and cast them at his feet. Prayer is our intimate connection with God. If that's true about prayer, then fasting is our focusing tool for prayer. All right, I want to give you a definition. All right, this is my definition of fasting. And that is this, that fasting is an intentional self-denial for the purpose of an enhanced focus on the person and the work of God. You may have something that's better. That's not mine, okay? That, that happens to be mine. That in, when we fast, we intentionally deny ourselves for the purpose of enhancing our focus. If you're fasting from food, your stomach reminds you that you forgot to have lunch, forgot to have lunch, that you didn't have lunch, you didn't follow your routine. Every Sunday morning, when we, when we come to church over here, we stop at Starbucks. I get a venti chocolate cream cold brew with extra cold foam and a toasted plain bagel with cream cheese. If that doesn't happen, my body, by the time we pull into the parking lot, my body wonders why we haven't done that. In his book, Spiritual Disciplines, Don Whitney says this about fasting. He says, fasting must always have a spiritual purpose, a God-centered one uh, for the Lord to bless our fast. Rather than focusing the mind on food, we should use the desire to eat as a reminder to pray and to reconsider our purpose. Right, verses 16 through 18 in Matthew chapter six. He says, when you fast, don't look gloomy. You don't want to be walking around like, because what happened when you do that? I mean, some of y'all, that's kind of like your normal face, but like, I mean, maybe not y'all, not y'all, maybe somebody else. Just kidding, but not really. Um, But have you ever, like, you know, like when you look gloomy or look sad, someone goes, oh, what's wrong? You can go, I'm fasting. How spiritual am I? I'm fasting. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus says at the beginning of this chapter, and I intentionally left it out till right now. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When you fast, church, nobody should know. That's, that's not for them, it's for you. It's to focus your heart on God. Our fast is not about our righteousness. We don't tell people we're doing it. One of my best friends in the world is an attorney. Uh, he had a spiritual awakening um, probably 15 years ago now. And, and in that spiritual awakening, he, um, he began to fast every Friday. Now, at the time, uh, I was... Um, he, so every Friday, our, our local football team would play football, and, uh, our, and I was the, the chaplain of the high school team, and he was on the, he's on the touchdown club, kind of one of the, the booster club for the, uh, for the team. And so every Friday morning, we would, or Friday, Friday afternoon, we would have lunch with the coach. He would go through game film, kind of show us what the game plan was for that night. Uh, and, and I, you know, he's one of my best friends in the world and I never really paid attention to it, but they would always serve us this really great barbecue. And so I would pile up my plate and one day I noticed he was just sitting there drinking water. And I'm like, what's the matter with you? And he goes, ah, nothing. I'm like, well, you're only drinking water. And he's like, I know. And I'm like, why? I had no idea. I had known the man for years. And it was just then that I figured out that on Fridays from sunup to sundown, he would fast. And it was his time to pray. And when his, when his stomach would growl, it would remind him to pray for whatever was on his heart for that given day. And here I am eating barbecue, gorging on barbecue next to him. He never told anybody. That's what fasting looks like. John Piper calls fasting at its root the hunger of a homesickness for God. That pang that we have for intimacy with God is focused through the discipline of fasting. It enhances our prayer life. It's not about something you do at, at mealtime or something you do when you walk into a doctor's office or a classroom for the test you didn't study. It's always about communion with God. It's a table in which you have been invited to feast. Fasting has benefits. Number one, it ushers in revival. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Of my people who are called by my name. Now, mind you, this is to a, an Israel that is far from God in pagan worship. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And I am running way out of time. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's hurry this up. Fasting also focuses us to see God's will. Look at, as Ezra looks around to the broken walls of Jerusalem before Nehemiah, Ezra says, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all of our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. Fasting also releases the chains that bind us. Mark chapter 9 and verse 28 says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? Talking about a demon. And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out with anything or by anything but prayer. Church, sometimes it's just coming to God and asking him to do what you can't. Easter is right around the corner. We're almost to that time of year, which is one of the most attended church services in all 
the year. You're going to hear more about this later, but on Good Friday, your, your pastoral staff, and they've invited me to be a part of it, is going to be doing some things. We have, of course, a night of worship on Monday, Thursday, and then all day on Friday, we're going to have devotions that are going to be released to you uh, that are going to help you to think about the Lord and to focus on the Passion Week. I want to invite you to do something with Allie and me. Every Friday from sunrise to sunset, Allie and I are going to be fasting and praying for the Easter services at Fort Caroline. We want to invite you to be a part of that. We don't need to tell anybody. We're telling you because we want to invite you to be a part of it, to be praying even now that the Lord would bring people that need to hear the gospel to this church, that they might hear the gospel and be radically saved. We want to ask you to focus your prayer life so what does that look like? For me, it's going to look like from sunup to sundown on Friday. And look, this is a big deal because I like coffee. From sunup to sundown, we're going to drink, I'm going to drink water and that's going to be it. And when my stomach rumbles, and it will inevitably rumble, I'm going to pray that the Lord would send revival to Fort Caroline Baptist. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to be a part of that with us. From now until Good Friday, that we would pray for the Easter services during the Passion Week. That you would be praying for who you're going to invite. The end of verse 18 says, And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. I want to invite you to change your prayer life. That you might grow in closer intimacy with God. And that's how we're going to close this service out today. I want to invite you, as we prepare to go today, I want to invite you to come forward this morning. Call it the altar. But to come forward and to be praying for your church. Be praying for your pastor search team. Be praying for your next pastor. Be praying for your pastoral staff that's here. Be praying for Easter services. That the spark of revival that we see on, at Asbury University and Texas A&M and all these other schools across the world, across our country, that we might see just a taste of that revival happen here. And we're going to close out this service by praying. And I want to invite you, if you're able, if you're not, I totally get it. If you can't get up, can't kneel down, totally get it. Pray at your seat. But if you're comfortable coming forward to pray for this church that God would move, I'd like to invite you at this time to come forward. And we're going to spend some time in earnest prayer to close out our service today. And then you're going to be dismissed back into this world. Father, you are more worthy than all description. You are beautiful, you are holy, you are righteous, and we are unworthy to come before you. But yet, Father, you invite us. We thank you 
for the privilege of not needing an intermediary. But in Christ, we can come directly to you. And we confess our sin, Father, the the sin of omission, the things that, that we don't do that we should, the sins of commission, the things we do that we shouldn't do, the times we take our eyes off of you. Father, forgive us. And we thank you for loving us, for being caring for us. We thank you for answering our prayers in your way and in your time. And Father, today we are broken through the brokenness and the lostness that we see in our world around us. And Father, we know that that you are going to come eventually and you're going to make all things right. But Father, until that day comes, I pray that we would be faithful to bring, to cast our cares upon you. For we know that you care for us. God, we all have names of people that we know who need to trust you as Savior. And Father, we know that you know them too. You created them. And you are ever quietly drawing them to yourself. I pray for this church that we would be faithful to do the ministry you've called us to do. I pray for this pastor search team as they're searching for your man to lead this this congregation. I pray for your next, this church's next pastor, that you would fill him with the Holy Spirit even today. And I pray for all those who are going to come on to this campus during the Passion Week who are going to hear the gospel. And Father, if it would be your will that we would see revival stretch from this place, that it would begin with the repentance of sin and people would come to you just as they are, for you are holy and righteous. Good. Father, break our hearts for that which breaks yours. And Father, may we be faithful until the moment we see you face to face and you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your rest. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.